This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. In the seventh precinct, there's a sign pinned on a corkboard with a quote that says, he escapes who is not pursued. But it turns out that sometimes those who are pursued still escape. So if this is your last tip, uh, what are you going to then do? There are people out there that know about this homicide. I've talked to them, but nobody has the information to give us. I don't know, I'm really, really starting to hit some serious dead ends. One new voice message. Hey, Christina, I'm just frustrated with the way this whole case has been, like, forever. Thirteen years after Burke O'Brien was murdered, I got a call from Detective Kenny Sylvia. Well, I'm willing to stand in front of whoever and take my lumps. I want to do what I think is necessary and anything that, that needs to get shaken up to, to get this thing out there and, and to find justice for Burke. Kenny and I kept in touch, and we still talked about the O'Brien case from time to time, but this was not the call I expected. Kenny asked me if I would consider doing another report on the case. He thought getting the story in the news again would be the only way that Burke's killer would ever be caught. I had thought about this case a lot over the years, but we agreed that we needed to get Rory and the rest of the O'Brien family on board first. For ABC News, I'm Christina Kiley. This is a murder on Orchard Street. I've replayed that night in my mind millions and, and millions of times and so it's pretty hard to not feel like it happened yesterday. I met Rory again just two years ago. She was in her mid-30s and eight months pregnant. It was early spring and gently raining outside the window. She wore a deep blue sweater and her hair was the same fiery red I remembered, just like her brother Burke's. As it is right now, the two people who killed Burke are kind of these faceless, mysterious people who exist out in the ether. It's really profoundly unfair and unjust to think of them out in the world doing what all of us do each day, living their lives, spending time with their families when they have so deeply ravaged the family of another. Whenever I think about this case, I think about the O'Brien family, Rory, her sisters, uh, all the tragedy that they've gone through. 
In the month before, Kenny had told me what else had happened to the O'Brien family after Burke's murder. But hearing Burke's youngest sister, Carly, talk about it was almost unbearable. My dad became really almost obsessed and sort of fixated on figuring out who had done this. Um, And that was really hard to watch him in that space. We all knew it was really coming from this place of being brokenhearted and really just trying to kind of keep our family still together. Rory had already been through so much herself. And then she had to watch her father struggle with his own pain while trying to help his children through theirs. He was grieving quite a bit, and he was really quite consumed with wanting to find Burke's killers. It really was an incredibly disturbing thought to him that they were still out there roaming around. It was hard to watch my dad in this spot. You know, he didn't sleep a lot. He really struggled quite a bit. And I think as a dad, you want to be able to sort of ease your kid's mind in, in the best way that you can. And he just wasn't able to do that. And I think it was incredibly um, frustrating for him. Less than two years after Burke's death, their father, Mark, decided to go on an outdoor retreat in Canada to help him through his grief. It's called North Waters, where the family used to go camping and where Burke had been a counselor. Carly was up there at the same time. Rory and I run this scholarship trip in Burke's name up in Canada. And I was taking the Burke trip out and we were paddling by and I just happened to see him on the boys' island where they do that the adult program up there. And, you know, just him really saying that he was ready to sort of let some of that go. Rory told me that he called her from the road on the long drive back from Canada to Chicago. She said it was the first time that he had sounded peaceful since Burke had died. Moments later on that drive, Mark was hit by a semi-truck and killed on the highway. When Rory told me this, it took a while to sink in. And I saw what a rare and strong person was talking to me. And as I tried to absorb this woman's experience, she knocked the breath out of me with the story of what happened after her father's death. But it was too difficult for her to talk about on camera. So later, I asked Carly about it. It was Burke, and then it was a year and a half later, it was my dad that died. And then a year and a half after that, it was Tommy that died. Tommy was their only other brother. And then it was their mom. She was devastated. You know, I I really sort of always think about my mom dying of a broken heart. I think that it was too much. When I first met with Rory to ask if she'd be willing to let me tell her family's story again, I was surprised how out of my element I was. I've been on stakeouts and worn Kevlar on assignments, and here I was in this Thai food restaurant in Brooklyn, scared out of my mind. But she greeted me with a hug, and we chatted almost like old friends. 
And then there would be these moments where I would remember that I only knew her because her brother died in her arms. I found her trying to put me at ease just when I thought that was my job. She told me about her life now and about her sisters, Carly and Mariah, the three of them, all that's left of the O'Briens. It's just us now. You know, while we used to be this kind of big seven-person Irish family, it's just the three of us now. After all this death, the sisters still managed to move on with their lives, but they never gave up trying to find who killed Burke. Rory, in particular, was the one who kept calling the police and checking in on the investigation. After kind of a while, just the radio went silent. So I made some calls and kind of tried to get in touch with folks. She told me that a new detective had been assigned to her brother's case. His name was Mike Dordo. When I started working with Mike, he really dove right back into the case. And he wanted to go out to Arizona to meet with Kenny. And Kenny's been in retirement for some time. I didn't want to bug him about the case, but Mike was happy to bug him. And so he did. He came out to see me, and and, uh, we spent three days together. We went through the case, you know, report by report. Um, I was able to fill in some things that that are not in the report. It It looks entirely different. A few months after Kenny left me that voicemail, he came to New York to visit Orchard Street once again. The steps are still here. The whole interior is different. There are a lot of boutique bars and clubs. I mean, it's Orchard Street, but it doesn't really look like the Orchard Street that I, that I knew. I watched Kenny walk the street we'd spent so much time on together. He seemed pensive, almost like he was looking for a new clue in plain sight. Was there anything, any kind of buzz about it afterwards? I didn't know it until they stuck the posters up mm-hmm. that somebody was killed. Some Irish guy. Yeah. This case has, has stuck with me every day for the last 12 years. I've seen my own sons grow up. They're at this age right now, and I think of them and what it would mean to me to lose them. And more than a decade later, he was still hoping that he could solve it and bring some closure to the O'Brien family. There's a a whole variety of things that could have happened over the span of 12 years. People mature. People become a little bit more aware of themselves. The guy who had the gun, the trigger man, he may have been involved with a woman. He may have uh, done her wrong. And so now she's looking for vengeance. Maybe the guy who's standing next to him, who didn't pull the trigger, suddenly has a case of conscience. The trigger man himself, if he's still alive and he's not in prison, he may have a a change of heart. He may be one of these guys that have found religion and wants to atone for his sins. Some folks don't stop searching till they find the truth. If you've got a detective's eye, June's Journey is the game for you. Play as June Parker in a gripping murder mystery as you find hidden objects to help solve her sister's death. You'll hunt for clues in hundreds of beautifully illustrated scenes set in the Roaring Twenties. New chapters are added weekly. Find your first clue by downloading June's Journey today. Available on Android and iOS mobile devices as well as on PC through Facebook games. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. People who disappear without a trace. Where is she? The most notorious murder cases in New York. Pure evil. And the most devious killers. There's a Hannibal Lecter feel to him. For chilling true crime stories, follow the True Crime NYC podcast wherever you listen. While he was in New York, Kenny went to visit Rory. It definitely brings up a lot of the, um, the grief again for me. It was an emotional reunion. They both still had hope. The bottom line is we're going to need somebody to call us and tell us. No other major leads. We'll need other people. Mm-hmm. This show is going to generate some interest. And obviously if, if, if that pans out and, and there's some good solid leads, then maybe. Somebody's got to know something at, this, at some point, you know. Somebody always does. All these years later, I really wanted to talk to Burke's friend, Forrest Bloaty, the initial suspect in the case. I still felt bad that I had believed he was guilty. The more I thought about it, he'd really become a forgotten figure in this story. At the beginning, he was a suspect, and you forget that he was actually kind of a victim as well. He was there when Burke was shot. He lost his friend. It's, the, you know, the first thing you think about when you wake up, and it's the last thing you think about when you go to bed. And you're longing for that day where you don't think about it. It turned out that Detective Dordo wasn't satisfied with the original sketch and wanted a new one made. So he went out to Texas to meet Forrest and let me tag along. The whole idea of redoing the sketch is they asked me, would there be any changes that you'd make? And I said, I can take a, a crack at it. In this case, we're looking for proportions. Sure. Basically, just tell me things that look good and things that need to uh, be changed. When I saw Forrest, he was in his late 30s, living in Austin, Texas. He was a new dad. His hair was down to his shoulders. He was wearing reading glasses as he worked with the sketch artist. He still had that narrow face and piercing eyes I remembered from the precinct, but he'd grown into himself. Looks really good. You know, the only portion of change I do is just bring that in, just the hair right there. Just Despite his obvious discomfort with the situation, there was a calm maturity he didn't have that night he was thrown into the tombs. So bringing it just a little bit on the cheeks. Okay, so bring, um, bring this line in right here. Yeah, just... Not as wide. Yeah, exactly, okay. just making that, you know... So we're on the right track here? Yeah, no, I think that's really good. I watched Burke's killer, or at least Forrest's memory of him, come to life on paper, the sharp pencil strokes showing narrow eyes hair buzzed close to the scalp, 
and a thin, light mustache. It's not that there was a breakthrough in, in my recollection or memory of what that person's face looked like. What do you think at this point? Yeah. Started to come together? Yeah, and I think that's accurate and good revision to the original. I'm not sure what I expected, but I was perplexed when I realized the new sketch looked very different from the one from 2003. It had me wondering, why? I called Kenny to get his take. Hey, I just wanted to know what you thought about the two sketches looking so different. Um, The new one, for example, doesn't have that thin line of beard that Forrest described so many times. Just because the sketch doesn't share certain key elements, like a thin beard, with the original sketch, doesn't mean it's more or less accurate. Neither sketch had a dark neck cap something that Forrest described to one of the detectives on the first night. You have to kind of think of or look at everything at once and not hold on to any one idea or detail too tightly. I came back to New York with the new sketch in hand. All right. So... And when I was back in the office, going through old footage that I took in 2003... He says he's walking for you. I had this moment where I looked at the back of one of the shots and saw Kenny escorting the original witness out of the precinct, the one who had said Forrest pulled the trigger. I had never seen him before, and I realized in many ways the witness looked like the new sketch. He had an almost bald head and a thin goatee, and it struck me. Had Forrest ever seen a photograph of the witness? So I called Dordo to talk through my theory. Could the witness be something more? He has a thin line, kind of a goatee, and he's wearing a puffy jacket, you know, like the second witness said. Dordo wasn't buying it, but Kenny was more open to the idea. I got an email from Dordo. He thinks I'm off track. When he wrote to me, he said... He's bald, and Forrest goes through painstaking detail on his hair and hairline. I'm going to speak to him either way, but I'm not liking him at all. I don't think your line of thought is is crazy at all. You have a guy that puts himself at the scene. His story is a little bit inconsistent. He's wearing clothing that very closely resembles one of the perks. Certainly, the possibility is worth looking into. Even though Dordo told me I was barking up the wrong tree in terms of making the connection between the witness and the sketch, I still really wanted to speak with the witness. This was the only main player involved that I hadn't spoken to in reporting this story. I still wanted to know why he had conflicting accounts of what happened, and if he knew something more, I needed to find out. We finally tracked the witness down in Florida. Kenny agreed to meet me there, which was good because I was nervous about wrongly accusing an innocent man and equally of the idea of confronting a possibly guilty person. Next time on A Murder on Orchard Street, could this innocent man offer a new clue that would finally help the O'Brien family find justice? How do you feel about it? How do you feel about approaching him and talking to him? I feel like I can't wait until we get to the other side of it. 
So this is... Right. I don't see anybody there. They're probably They're inside. probably upstairs. There he is. Right there. Thank you for listening to A Murder on Orchard Street. If you're interested in this story, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a quick review to help others discover it too. You could submit tips about this case to the NYPD by calling 1-800-577-TIPS. Again, that's 1-800-577-8477. A Murder on Orchard Street is a seven-part series produced by the teams at ABC News Nightline, ABC Radio, and ABC News Digital. Our website is abcnews.com slash orchardstreet. New episodes post Tuesday mornings on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, and the ABC News app. You'll find our other podcasts there, too, and at abcnewspodcasts.com. I'm Christina Kiley.